If you have your Bibles, you might choose to turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning with verse 1. Don't just hear this, see this as I read it. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? He even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Took him out and tried to kill him. Isn't this the carpenter? Yes. Listen. Jesus was just starting his ministry. He called a few disciples who knew very little about him except that he picked their lives up put a new spark in their living, a new spring in their step. They followed him, went back home, went to Nazareth where he'd grown up. And uh, in the synagogue on that Sabbath, he read some scripture and then said some things about it. And the folks there got really upset with him. So much so they wanted to get rid of him. And they asked this question. I don't think they ask it in derision. I think they were sincerely perturbed by all of the events, perplexed. Isn't this the carpenter? I mean, where did he learn all this? How did he get all these insights? Isn't this the carpenter? It's exactly who he is. It's, it's interesting to me that the great God of the ages who built the universe, who is the master architect, and builder, and carpenter, it's interesting to me that God would choose an earthly carpenter to be the earthly father of his son. Why? Because carpenters know how to build new things. New things. Somebody comes in, they say, I'd, I'd like a table for this part of my house. Okay, he sees it in his mind first, and then he builds it. Uh, I'd like to have a little rocking chair for our grandbaby. Oh, okay. Builds it. He makes things. Then after things are made, he fixes things. Carpenter knows how to fix things. Things get scratched, broken, stained, 
He knows how to refinish them. He knows how to glue it back together. Jesus knows how to make things. In fact, John tells us that the whole world was made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He'd had some experience building things. All things were made by him. You were. I am. All of us. Then we have been remade by him and are being constantly refinished and refurbished and glued back together again by grace. Things that get broken in the business of living. Children, grandchildren, time, a lot of things put the wear and tear on us. So we need to be fixed. All of us do. Had a fascinating experience this past week. I stopped in a convenience store one morning to get some batteries for my recorder. And I came out, and there was a guy parked next to me in a uh, truck. And he was standing there. He was a welder. And he had uh, his work clothes on. He was, had a lot, of, a lot of grease on him. And, and uh, he was standing there uh, opening a can of skull. Now, it was either Skoll or Copenhagen. I'm not sure which. Martha knows a lot more about that sort of thing than I do. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, it was, it was Skoll. He was using his knife, and he was opening that, uh, he was opening that can of Skoll. And uh, he looked at me, and he said, you're Buckner Fanning, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am. What's your name? He told me his name. We shook hands. And uh, he said, you know, looked at me real straight. He said, I've always wondered whether you were normal or something. <laughs> I, looked, I laughed. And I said, yeah, I'm normal or something most of the time. <laughs> and and uh, I said, you know, that's a wonderful thing. God just takes us the way we are, normal or something. And um, he said, you know, uh, and he didn't say this in any sense of self-pity. It, it, it was not a complaining remark. He was just kind of telling me what's happened to him. He said, you know, uh, uh, my wife left me about a year ago and went off with another man and said then they were both picked up on drugs and put in jail and she just got out a week or so ago said I haven't seen her said I've really been hoping she'd come back so we've got a little two-year-old girl and uh, he said I'm trying to raise her and, and uh, we miss her it wasn't maudlin or sentimental just kind of telling it He'd gotten the skull open by then. He put a little in. He said, you know, God, God's be beginning to work on me in my life. I said, that's wonderful. So I've been thinking about God. I said, that's good. So have I. And I said, you know, the reason you and I think about him is because he prompts us to do that. And I'm going to pray for you. I want to invite you to church. You'd be at home with caring people. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will help you. Be a good father to that little girl. 
pray for your wife. So we talked for a minute more. He got in his truck and he left. And I got in my car and left. And about an hour later, I got down here at the church and I was doing some stuff. And I looked down and I had some grease on me that I'd gotten when he and I shook hands. And I left it on there for a while, intentionally, to remind me that all of us are normal or something. We've all got some smudges on us. We've all got some imperfections about us. Jesus came to make us new people. Listen, Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new person. In the 10th chapter of Romans, he says, Christ is the end of the law, I mean the conclusion of the law, fulfillment of the law, so that there may be righteousness, or being right, being new, for everyone who believes, anyone and everyone who believes. He's come to make things new. Take away our smudges, forgive our sins, remove our guilt, and give us a new life. It's an old story. I've told it. I don't know where I first heard it. Way back in college, I think. But it's a great story. The story is probably true. The truth of the story is true. About a little boy who built a boat sailboat, made it with his own hands, took it out to the river to let it sail, and he had a string on it, and he dropped the string, and the boat was gone. Lost it. Looked for it. Couldn't find it. Walking down the street one day, he went past the pawn shop, and in the pawn shop window, he saw his boat. Sail was torn, the mast was broken, and the hull had been all scraped and scratched. And he went in and said to the proprietor of the Pawn shop, that's my boat. I made it. Lost it, but I made it. And the owner said, well, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but said, you know, a guy I found it, brought it in here, and I gave him a little money for it. I've got, I've got some money in that. And the little boy said, yeah, but it's mine. He said, I know that, but try to save some money. I'll hold it for you. You try to save some money and come back in here, and we'll make a deal. So I don't know what he did, mowed lawns or whatever, and he came back with some money. He walked in, and he bought back his boat. Torn mast, torn sail, broken mast, scratched hull, a whole bit. Walking down the street, he looked at his little boat, and he said, You were my boat once because I made you. You're my boat twice. Because I bought you back. He made you. And through Christ, he bought you back. He's come to make all things new in your life. And he looks beyond the grease marks, the smudge, the broken sail, mast, hull, and he meets your need. sees your need, my need.
These are in need to deal with 1991, the smudges, the scratches, the brokenness that may have occurred in one area of life or another. He sees that. He's come to fix it. Makes us new persons. And he's come not only in the healing process to do that, but to equip us for the future. For 1992. Psalm 121 is a very well-known verse of Scripture. The first verse. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now, if you've been to the mountain country, or you've been to the Smokies, or the Blue Ridge, or the Rockies, or wherever, you've probably gone into some restaurant or shop somewhere, and you've seen that on a plaque as something you buy when you look at the mountains. I lift up mine eyes on the hills which from whence cometh my strength. Now, I get inspired by the mountains. I look at them and I'm impressed by their magnificence and their beauty, as I guess everybody is. But this verse of Scripture is taken out of its context because some people put an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence, but God's Word puts a question mark there. Now, it's easy to be inspired by the mountains if you've gotten there in an air-conditioned or a heated automobile or bus or on the ski lift or something. But everybody in Jesus' day walked. Everybody in the day this psalm was written walked. And Israel is filled with hills. Those of you who've been there, some of you have been there with us, some of you are going with us this, this year. You leave Tel Aviv and you start about 25 miles toward Jerusalem and it's uphill all the way. Jerusalem sits 2,400 feet above sea level. And to get to Jerusalem, you've got to go uphill. Wherever you're coming, north, south, east, or west, you've got to go uphill to get to Jerusalem. So what this psalmist is saying here, these were psalms that were sung as they went to the temple for times of pilgrimage. They were walking along together and they saw those hills I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Where will I get the strength to climb those hills? That's what it says. We're not inspired by the hills. The hills are a challenge. They have to be climbed. And they're rocky. And they're steep. And they're dangerous. You and I have got some hills in our lives in 92. Where will I get my strength? He answers it. My help comes from the Lord, the maker, the builder, the carpenter of heaven and of earth. Those hills are there, and they're hills to be climbed, and will be climbed in your life. God has come to walk with us as we move toward the future. With their hills and valleys, with its hills and valleys, its ups and downs, its good days, its rainy days, its happy days, its sad days, he's going to take us there. The builder and the maker of heaven and earth has come to walk with us as we scale the challenges of the future. He knows what it is 
to be broken and to have a broken heart. Look at him crying over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to me as a hen does gather her chicks, but you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't let me mend you. You wouldn't bring me all the pieces so I could put them back together again. Fix you. Standing at the tomb of Lazarus, weeping, because he saw there a picture of the world standing beside a grave with a broken heart. He knows that feeling. Look at him in Gethsemane. Oh, God, if there's some other road I can take, if there's some other path, I don't want to drink this cup. Unless I have to. I've got a hill to climb out there. And I don't want to do that. Unless that's your will. And not my will. But thine be done. And he got up. And he walked up the hill. With a cross on his back to die there for all of the broken dreams and hopes and resolves and hearts and everything that needs fixing. He died there. And then he came back from that hill, walked down the other side of it in victory of resurrection so he could get back around to where you and I are to accompany us as we go up that hill. And we're not alone. And he said, I'll be with you, and I'll never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Never. That's a great promise. And that's a promise for you. Don't make any difference how many smudges you have on your life, how many chips or scars or scratches. None of that. He's come to make all things new. And he's come to accompany us. As John Wesley said, the greatest word in the Bible is, or from the Bible is, God is with us. God is with us. I don't know where I heard this story, but I'll tell it, and then we're going to sing an invitation hymn, and I'll have to sing just as I am in a moment. I haven't sung that in a long time. You'll not need the words if you don't know them. I just want you to sit there and think about what God wants you to do, and think about what God wants to do for you, and in you, and with you. In 92. I assume this is a true story. It came out of the Old South. Church janitor couldn't read or write. I've known some people here in San Antonio couldn't read or write. Adults. Oh, they could pick out a few little words, but I mean, they, they couldn't, read or, couldn't read or write. And uh, simply because you can't read or write doesn't mean you're dumb. This fellow had, had, uh, had picked up a few words along the way, and, and he would look through the Bible, and he could kind of found a phrase in there where there were four or five words that he was familiar with, and he put them together in a sentence. And he was standing in the back prayer meeting one Wednesday night, and the pastor was asking people to tell their favorite verse of Scripture. And people would stand up and say, well, my favorite verse is 
John 3.16. Another would say Romans 28.28, and they'd quote it. And uh, he, he said, uh, do you mind if I tell you my favorite verse? And the pastor said, no, of course not. What is it? He said, my favorite verse of Scripture is, and it came to pass. He said, you, you, you ever notice how many times in the Bible you'll read that? And it came to pass, and it came to pass, and it came to pass, it came to pass. What's well, a little phrase? We read it at Christmas. And it came to pass. The shepherds were keeping watch over their flock. By it came to pass, came to pass, came to pass. And the pastor thoughtfully said, well, why is that your favorite? He said, because that's a great promise for me. Because what it's saying is that when trouble comes, it's not going to come to stay. It's come to pass. When difficulties come, they don't come to stay. They come to pass. When death comes, it doesn't come to stay. It comes to pass. For he has swallowed up death in victory. 